This and every episode of Project 7 is proudly presented by Renewal by Anderson, the complete replacement division of Anderson Windows. With their exclusive Fibrex material, all of their windows are custom-made, high-performance, energy-efficient, and installed by certified installers. Log on today to request your free in-home estimate and take advantage of their buy one, get one 40% off sale with no money down, no interest, and no payments for 12 months with approved credit. Visit rbamontana.com slash BOGO40. That's rbamontana.com slash BOGO40. This is Andy Viano, the co-host of this here podcast, and I'm hopping on real quick to thank you, first of all, so much for listening to Project 7 for the last four weeks. It has been an incredibly fun and flattering, frankly, experience for my co-host Justin Franz and I as we've watched your response to this show, and we're super excited for you to hear the final two installments of the series that are on their way. That said, Episode 5 of Project 7 will be released on Wednesday, May 13th. So while Justin and I put the finishing touches on that episode, we're going to share some of our favorite bonus clips from the series so far. And if you didn't know, throughout the last month, every time a new episode of Project 7 has come out, we've released a companion bonus episode with exclusive content that's available only to members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. That's the paid membership program that supports our newspaper, the Flathead Beacon, and all of our other journalistic endeavors, things like this podcast. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard on Project 7 so far, want to hear more of these bonus episodes, and want to help us make shows like this in the future... The best thing to do is go join the Editors Club by visiting beaconeditorsclub.com and signing up to be a member. It costs as little as five bucks a month and comes with a handful of other great perks. So once again, that's beaconeditorsclub.com. And one disclaimer, if you have not listened to the first four episodes of Project 7, this is not the episode to start with. There are all kinds of spoilers coming up, so if you're waiting to binge the series when all six episodes are out, or you just discovered the show, pause right now, go back to episode one, which is Where in the World is David Bergert, and then work your way back here. All right, enjoy the show, and thank you again for listening to Project 7. Project 7 listeners, I am Andy Viano, joined here by my co-host and co-creator of Project 7, Justin Franz. Justin, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Andy? How's your, uh, how's your quarantine going, your pandemic life? 
Well, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, we're surviving, and I'm sure people can tell we are not in the same room, nor have we been to record what any of Project Seven to uh, to this point, at least our portions of it, as we uh, deal with the same thing that everybody else out there is dealing with. And we're here today because instead of the fifth episode of Project Seven, we're bringing you a bonus episode or I guess uh, more precisely, a compilation of some of the previous bonus episodes that we've done. These bonus episodes are available, or at least had been to this point, exclusively to members of our Editors Club. And if you are enjoying this podcast, you can support the Flathead Beacon, support the work we do. Membership in the Editors Club starts at $5 per month. So if you want to throw us a couple bucks there, you can do that at beacon-editors-club.com. Uh, but Justin, we thought it'd be fun for folks to hear some of these bonus conversations because while it's stuff that didn't quite fit in the rhythm of an individual episode, I think there's a lot to be learned in in all these conversations. Absolutely. I mean, we did 15 months of reporting to to tell this story and, you know, there's only so much room, there's only so much time and space we have to to tell that story. And so there's a lot of great material that's just gotten left on the cutting room floor, so to speak. And yeah, the, the bonus episodes have been an awesome way to share that content. And I'm excited that we're able to share it with a, a wider audience. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you like what you hear during this episode, I really encourage you to consider becoming a member of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. You know, there's a lot of great perks beyond the bonus episodes. You get access to an exclusive website, there's bonus podcasts beyond this one and a lot of other great stuff. And more importantly, it helps the Flathead Beacon remain the, you know, the Flathead Valley's most trusted and independent source of journalism uh, here in Northwest Montana. You know, before we get to some of those bonus interviews, I want to let folks know a little bit about what we're doing here with this extra week. You know, obviously recording and creating this show during the pandemic has been its own type of challenge, but it has also, as the show has, uh, has caught on, as people have started listening to it, uh, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you, first and foremost, to everybody yes. who has been listening to the show. So thank you so much for that. And please, if you know somebody who isn't listening, go tell them to listen now and, uh, and see if they like what we've been putting together. But as we've started to bring in new listeners... Uh, and I think my daughter might have just uh, appeared on, on the bonus podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as we've started to talk to more people, we have uh, been able to find some new information. And Justin, you've had a couple of conversations here in recent weeks with new people that we didn't get to speak with in those first 15 months. So we wanted to make sure to include in these final two episodes is one of the big reasons why we're, we're taking this extra week to make sure that we bring all the information to, uh, to our listeners. Yeah. I mean, obviously we spent a ton of time reporting this story, but you know, when, when you're reporting a story, you can only, you can only interview the people, you know, who are connected to it. And, you know, at the end of every interview, you know, we talked to, to our sources and we're like, you know, who else do we need to talk to? Who else do we need to talk to? And then we follow their advice and talk to those people and so on and so on. But we knew that there was a chance when we finally released this podcast that there would be some people we, we didn't get a chance to talk to who would, would come forward. And that's uh, been the case here in the last couple of weeks. We were able to talk to uh, two folks who had interacted with David in early 2011 before 
he got into an altercation with the Missoula County Sheriff and disappeared. Those were were really great interviews because they they sort of changed my mindset of, on what I have think happened to David, which we're not going to go too deeply. We're not going to not going to go too far down that road because uh, we want to save that for for the grand finale. But uh, yeah, they were really important interviews. I'm really excited about them, and I'm looking forward to working them into the narrative that we had already uh, formed. So let's get started with these bonus conversations. I think we'll begin with Doug Overman. For folks who don't remember, Justin, what, what is Doug's connection to this story? Doug was uh, Doug is currently the chief of police in Kalispell, but in 2001, he was a, a rookie cop with the Kalispell Police Department, and he was there the night that David got uh, pepper sprayed and arrested uh, in downtown Kalispell. And, and he talks to us about his recollections of that night, as well as some of the things that happened to David, including the use of what was called a spit hood. And I think what's super interesting here in in this conversation, too, is you'll hear the perspective of somebody who in that videotape that we play excerpts from is four months out of the academy and now is 19 years onto the job and has his own cops to worry about. So he goes all the way from rookie who doesn't know anything, who's not even sure why he has to ask for the for the lawyer's ID, to in this bonus episode talking about what that that night looks like with the with the perspective of 19 years uh, of experience on the job. Yeah, and that's just such a great example of of the type of stuff we've had to leave out because you know when you're when you're crafting a narrative for a podcast like this, you really want to make sure that the listener is in that moment, that they're in 2001, that they're with the rookie cop. But some of the, some of the context of time is lost when you're making that narrative. And so that's, what's great about these bonus episodes is that they, they just give you an even fuller picture of, of David Berger and the story we're trying to tell. Absolutely. And here is Doug Overman. I don't remember specifically talking about it. It's been 18 years and I haven't reviewed the video for a long time. I don't remember specifically talking about the video. Um, I've always prided myself on being professional interaction. So I don't remember being particularly afraid of, of being videotaped other than it was, it was a little awkward at the time because everything we do now is videotaped with body camera and, and uh, not only the citizenry, the, the, our own cameras that we're including, um, and so was it unusual at the time? Yeah. Um, do I remember it being particularly alarming or afraid that it was being videotaped? No. The stop was pretty contentious from the start, and you can hear on the videotape that the attorney in the car is asking Overman why the stop has happened and why he needs to show his identification. Those kinds of requests, Overman said, are not uncommon from those who might be classified as constitutionalists. And especially as a young officer, Overman said those stops can sometimes be tricky to handle. He, he was, I mean, he wasn't rude. He was inquisitive. He, as you know, he was at the time he was an attorney, he's an educated guy. He, he wanted to know if the reason that I was requesting his identification. And, you know, to be honest with you, at that particular moment in my career, I was fairly young and uh, had a hard time articulating the reasons why. Um, and the reason why we were conducting a stalking investigation, I don't think I ever technically uh, did that. I was more asking for like a consensual identity. And I just kind of 
stuck that course and he ultimately complied with me. Um, you know, we still get kind of the sovereign citizen contacts. I think if anything, it's probably expanded. Um, and not specifically about the area, but because I think, I think with the invent of the internet, um, kind of how to do these things and the ability to communicate and, and, uh, find like-minded people is easier. Uh, and that would have been, you know, the internet certainly existed in 2001, uh, but certainly wasn't what it is now. The most contentious interaction of the evening, at least on the side of the traffic stop, came when David Bergert was pepper sprayed. Overman talked to us about how common it was for pepper spray to be deployed in that kind of scenario. And later he touched on whether or not he viewed the evening as controversially as David certainly did. The truth is now is that uh, taser use has largely eliminated pepper spray use. I have, in my 20 years of law enforcement, never deployed pepper spray on a human being. And as a, we, we always want to make sure that officers have a couple different forms of less lethal alternatives. And taser is by far and away the number one, besides just by far and away the number one is verbal compliance right. and verbal orders, like, you know, 90% of the time. Um, but if we have to use a tool, um, taser is almost always deployed. Were you aware before January, February about his complaints about how that night was handled? Was that something that was discussed internally at the police department or you just kind of blow it off and say, you guys just, you know, blow it well, I, I was pretty well on the food chain at that particular moment, so no particular kind of administrative discussion. Spent a lot of time on my plate, you know. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I knew it was, you knew it was controversial, um, but I can't recall any specific things. Did it feel controversial that night, the night that it happened, or only kind of afterwards? Kind of afterwards, you know, was it a usual thing that we did? No. Um, but was it impossible that we have someone obstruct an investigation, we make an arrest, affect an arrest, that uses some level of force that reasonable and necessary um you know those particular circumstances I, th I think the only thing really outside of that would have been um but controversial was you know some of the professed anti-government leanings that mr Berger had expressed and uh and you knew that would be um somewhat controversial up next, we have Travis McAdam. He's with the Montana Human Rights Network. And Andy talked to him a few weeks ago about how the COVID-19 situation is sort of being taken advantage of by some of these anti-government uh, extremists and, and groups and how, the, how our story sort of fits into uh, the present day situation. It's a really great interview and it's just super interesting. And I think it connects our story to uh, current events. And yeah, so it's a it's a great interview, and and yeah, so so here's a, a couple clips of that. We've been watching the situation up in Kalispell, especially as as the response to you know the emergency declaration that the city council issued. That again, as far as we look at it, was done as a public health measure. Um, they did the same thing that pretty much every city and community in the state has done in response to the pandemic, which is 
declare a state of emergency, it allows them to access funds, it allows them a little bit more flexibility. But in the case of Kalispell, you had uh, really as a ringleader, Annie Bukacek, who was appointed in a very kind of controversial decision uh, by the Flathead County Commission at the end of last year to the City County Health Board. So you have um, this person who has an MD, is a medical doctor, who is able to use really that credential along with currently serving on the City County Health Board to start raising this huge ruckus around the emergency declaration. And in doing so, you know, used language around how this was a step towards martial law, that this was kind of stomping on constitutional rights, and really using rhetoric that is exactly the type of rhetoric the militia movement uses. Really, anytime there's a, there's a national crisis or even just a crisis in a community, what anti-government militia groups, what white nationalists as well do is they really try to tap into that fear and they try to exploit that fear. And, and in this case, when you have a public official like Annie Bukacek running around talking about martial law, that fits very easily into you know, these one world government conspiracy theories that the militia movement has been talking about for decades, which always involve um, you know, martial law being declared, citizens being disarmed, and then, you know, an invasion by the United Nations or whatever sort of international boogeyman they happen to plug into that narrative. So we've really seen around the country and here in Montana pretty much what we expected to see, which is anti-government groups that are really trying to use this situation and exploit this situation as a means of not only getting their message out there, but as potentially a recruiting opportunity to get people who are scared and concerned, basically hooked on one piece of this broader ideological agenda and hopefully reel them the rest of the way in. I know you, you can't, you don't want to generalize too much, but who who are the people who are getting involved in these protests? And, and I don't know how closely you've been, you know, you and your group have been aware of Annie Bukacek before now or some of the other leaders. Are these kind of the, the people that you expected to pop up or are there some new people and new groups who are, are involved here? Yeah, I think it's really a mixture of both. We've been aware of Annie Bukacek for a long time. Her coalition was a part of numerous attempts to qualify these fetal personhood ballot initiatives. Um, that basically would say that a fertilized egg has constitutional rights. And we were part of efforts to try to keep those measures from qualifying for the ballot. Um, so we've known Annie for quite a while in that context. She's somebody that's shown up at Montana legislative sessions and testified in subcommittees. And so I think, you know, we've, we've been aware of her for a while and, and we're not really surprised when she was one of the ringleaders of this. So there, there are people that are well known. I think that she is among a contingent of people involved in this who also attend Chuck Baldwin's Liberty Fellowship. Um, Chuck Baldwin is another person who is pretty well known. I always refer to him as the unofficial pastor of the militia movement. When he and his family moved up here from Florida, you know, he talked a lot about how they were moving to the Rocky Mountain West because this was going to be where 
good God-fearing patriots would make their final stand against the federal government. So again, he very much comes out of that anti-government militia crowd. So I think that the fact that quite a few people who are either, you know, part of the Liberty Fellowship or I guess you could say maybe allies of Baldwin and the fellowship are involved in this, doesn't really surprise us much. There have been a few new kind of people that we weren't aware of before that seem to have been kind of activated by this. Um, so I think it is a little bit of a, a mix of, of what you could call old and new people, but I do feel like a, a, a big driving force behind this obviously is Annie Bukacek, and I think that her relationship to the Liberty Fellowship and, and Chuck Baldwin is also a pretty frequently shared trait of a lot of the people involved. I wonder if we can, we can pause on that for just another second. Mm-hmm. Liberty Fellowship has been uh, relatively quiet, I guess, in the last few years. For, for those people who are not familiar with Chuck Baldwin, can you explain uh, who he is and, and what Liberty Fellowship is? Yeah, so Chuck Baldwin um, has really had a national profile in kind of the anti-government patriot movement for decades. He and his family used to live in Florida, had a similar church there that from sort of a religious standpoint has, you know, follows very conservative fundamentalist Christianity views, very anti-choice, generally anti-LGBTQ, but I think that, you know, once they moved up here, it was, it really was a big deal for the Patriot movement because it wasn't like all of a sudden they were like, oh, okay, we're going to move to Montana and they moved to Montana. They made a huge deal, as I mentioned earlier, about we made this decision specifically because we think, you know, this this end game that's going to involve God-fearing Americans fighting off the federal government is going to happen in the Rocky Mountain West. We want to move to Kalispell because that's where we're going to make our last stand. So they moved up into the Flathead area. And as you know, the Project 7 podcast discusses, there's been a long history of both you know, militia and white nationalist types up in the Flathead area. Not surprisingly, as they got established here and started the Liberty Fellowship, you started to see some of those folks became people that went to his church. When he came up here, you know, there was one huge public meeting he had that there were a hundred or so people. We've heard that generally, like, as far as people that show up to his church every Sunday, it tends to be more in that, you know, 30 to 40 range. But again, I think it's, it's a case where if you just look at Chuck Baldwin and Liberty Fellowship and who shows up there on the weekends, it can feel like, oh, like that's not enough people that they can really accomplish anything if you're just going by strict numbers. Um, And so then I think it's important that people understand that Chuck Baldwin's influence and, and what he represents and what he's part of is much bigger than just Kalispell. It's much bigger than just the people that come and listen to him on Sunday. And so that, you know, that, that, that larger voice he has, that larger presence he has, definitely extends beyond Montana. I know he just sent out an email to his list today or yesterday where he talked about a lot of these issues and he talked about what was going on in Kalispell and he encouraged people to show their support for Annie Bukacek. 
And I think that that's one of the one of the pieces that is is pretty pretty concerning to us. Again, to talk in a little bit larger context. So you have Ammon Bundy over in Idaho and up in northern Idaho now, who has been encouraging people to defy shelter in place orders and defy social distancing orders. And for people who may not recognize the name Ammon Bundy, just to give a little bit of background on the Bundy family, they're the ones that had the really high profile armed standoffs with federal agencies, both in Nevada and out in Oregon. And this is a, you know, a family that's constantly looking for their next opportunity. And members of that family have been up in Northwestern Montana a handful of times over the last few years. And we've spent a lot of time talking to communities about, you don't want the Bundys to come in and try to quote unquote, solve a situation for you. You know, that we don't want them to be, we don't want the next armed standoff to be here in Montana, um, in the Flathead area or anywhere else. So one of the things is though, Ammon Bundy, because of the Bundy family has a national profile, but with Annie Bukacek, you have somebody who has this video that's now been viewed upwards of almost a million times, and she has a level of credibility, or at least perceived credibility, that an Ammon Bundy doesn't have, because she is a medical doctor. She can reference that she sits on the city county health board. So one of the concerns that we have is that because of some of these, you know, pieces of paper of, of credibility, you know, that go to her being a doctor, she's appointed to this board, I worry makes her a very appealing ally for someone like Ammon Bundy, who's looking for his next opportunity. And as the crow flies, you know, Ammon's over there organizing in Idaho two hours away. And so I think that one of the concerns that we really have is not just the negative impact that this is having on the Kalispell community right now, but is, you know, does this open up a potential or give an opening to people like Ammon Bundy from outside the community to come in and blow up the situation and make it even worse? Again, thank you for, for listening to this podcast. Uh, the reviews that we've gotten have been overwhelmingly positive. Lots of five-star reviews. One one-star review, but you can't win everyone, which is fine, which is fine. I don't take it too personally, a little bit personally, but not too personally. But in all seriousness, it the response has been incredible and it, it really means so much. Uh, when we made this, or when we started working on this podcast and before we released the first episode, there was a little part of me that was petrified that no one would listen to it. Um, I know that Andy and I have both agreed that if the people who did it listened to it, enjoyed it, that was a win. But I think this has surpassed our expectations and, you know, a lot of people are listening to it and it, the, it feels so good that we have created something that people are enjoying. Uh, if you do want to interact with the show, talk to us, talk to people who, uh, who are also listening. Find us on Facebook uh, at Project 7 Pod. Uh, Twitter handle is the same as it is on Instagram, Project Numeral 7 Pod. And our website, Project Numeral 7 Pod.com. 
Uh, you can also email us, project7 at flatheadbeacon.com. Uh, and again, Justin and I manage all of those accounts ourselves. So you talk to one of us personally, you have any questions for us, want to, can want to share something else that, that we don't know already, as a couple of people have already done, like we were talking about earlier, uh, get in touch with us and let us know. It has been, uh, been great to hear from everybody. We've still got a lot more to get to in the season. We are, we are two-thirds of the way done, which is close to the finish line, but there's a lot more of the story to go. Uh, where we left you in episode four, David is running into the woods. We've got the resolution of that first encounter uh, with law enforcement coming up on episode five. Uh, so talk about what happens to David after he is captured uh, and how Project 7 is taken apart. Uh, and then at the, uh, in the end of the season, we return to episode one, the chase in Missoula County into the Lolo National Forest. Uh, to the Graves Creek area, to the shots fired at Larry Schwint and Will Newsom, and to David Berger disappearing in the forest. And, and we do, in that episode, attempt to answer that question that got us started. Uh, where is David Berger? So that's all to come on the next two episodes of Project 7. Uh, the next one is out on May 13th. So come back to this feed for that episode then. Hope you appreciated uh, and enjoyed this bonus pod. And, uh, we look forward to, to getting more content to you soon. All right. Well, for my partner, Justin Franz, uh, this is Andy Viano. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode and for listening to Project 7. And we will talk to you on May 13th. See you then. This and every episode of Project 7 is proudly presented by Renewal by Anderson, the complete replacement division of Anderson Windows. With their exclusive Fibrex material, all of their windows are custom-made, high-performance, energy-efficient, and installed by certified installers. Log on today to request your free in-home estimate and take advantage of their buy one, get one 40% off sale with no money down, no interest, and no payments for 12 months with approved credit. Visit rbamontana.com bogo40 that's rbamontana.com slash B-O-G-O-4-0.